0: Uh, great to be with you. My name's Dom, uh, and excited to be opening and continuing uh, our uh, series uh, looking at some parables that Jesus tells. Um, we've called this series A Sting in the Tail, and we're going to be unpacking uh, this parable uh, that was just read out for us. Uh, why don't you keep your Bibles open and, uh, as, and follow along as we uh, unpack this parable together. Now, as we begin today, uh, let me... Um, kind of throw at you some confronting facts um, about the Christian faith. Uh, Did you know that in 2021, there is presently more than 340 million Christians presently experiencing what is considered high levels of persecution worldwide? Um, That's an average of one in every eight Christian uh, Jesus for that is currently experiencing high levels of persecution across the globe. Uh, The International Society of Human Rights estimates that followers of Jesus make up approximately 80% of total persecution cases in the world today. Now think about that, that's 80%, 80%. In other words, comparative to any religious group, major or minor for that matter, Christians are the ones who bear the brunt of persecution and religious discrimination more than any other in our world today. Uh, Open Doors, an organization that is dedicated to serve the persecuted church, reports that um, the pandemic has worsened persecution across many countries, uh, where believers' faith reportedly is the main reason why they may have been denied emergency belief, relief, uh, rather, or, or why they receive fewer rations compared to their fellow citizens. See, friends, all the statistics from people who reliably research this stuff show that the cost of following Jesus in 2021 has never been higher. It's increasing all over the world. Opposition is more fierce. The violence is greater. The pressure is higher. And while we know that on the whole, we've got it pretty good in Australia, and I'd never want to put the label of persecution on what we face here um, compared to how, how much so much of the world face. Uh, nevertheless, the pressure that we do face for following Jesus, even here in Australia, the cost to continue to do so, even here, even that's on the rise, isn't it? And so it's a pretty natural question to ask, well, why are these things taking place? Why is evil still in our world? Why is suffering Still happening. Why are the people of God still reeling from the effects of darkness and evil and suffering and pain, even though the kingdom has come? Is the kingdom of God real, therefore, if all of this is still around? Why would God allow all of this? And if you've ever asked those questions, if you've ever thought about those things, whether from your own experience or thinking about some of the things that we've just heard, our parable today gives an answer to these questions. See, even though it is relatively early in his ministry, Jesus tells the parable of the weeds as someone who's already seen a fair share of trouble. Right, Everywhere Jesus went, he encountered some pretty fierce opposition. At his birth, um, Herod the king wiped out all the baby boys in an attempt to kill Jesus. After his baptism and the launch into public ministry, Satan appears to him in the wilderness, opposing and tempting Jesus to take the easy way out. Even on the exact day that Jesus tells the parable just read for us, we find out in the previous chapter in Matthew 12 that the religious rulers are already wanting to catch him off guard. They're already thinking and assuming that his authority and power must not be of God but of the devil, and they've already begun to plot to kill him. And so it's in the face of real opposition that Jesus is already facing that he turns now to his disciples and his followers both then and now and through this parable says, let me explain to you why I'm experiencing what I'm experiencing. Let me explain to you why why you'll experience what you'll one day experience. Let me explain why in 2021... Why one in eight believers will will face what they face and why you believers in Sydney will also face what you face. Today is going to be a bit of a dose of reality, friends. And so let's pray that we might hear and be shaped by this somber yet hopeful news so we might live with our eyes open to the spiritual reality all around us. Pray with me. Heavenly Father, we ask... For your help today as we come to your word, we pray for its instruction, that it would challenge us and humble us. Help us by your spirit to see your wisdom, even when things seem confusing and difficult to us. We ask that especially as we come to this part of your word, would it be a lamp to our feet and a light for our path. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Uh, Now the parable of the weeds uh, in verses 24 to 30 and the interpretation that Jesus gives from verse 36 to 43 can be broken down into three main building blocks uh, that really develop the story, that make up the story. And so we're going to be using each block um, as the basis of our outline for today. So our three main points, and you can follow along in the outlines, will be um, there are two types of crops or seeds in the world, um, point one, which, point two, are allowed to coexist and grow entangled until, point three, one day they are separated. Yeah? So there are two types of crops or seeds uh, which coexist and are entangled together for a time uh, until one day they will finally be separated. Let's look at each block in turn. Point one, there are two types of crops and seeds or seeds in the world. Two types of crops or seeds. Now let's look back at verse 24. Uh, verse 24, uh, Jesus told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while everyone was sleeping, his enemy came and sowed seeds, or weeds among the wheat and went away. When the wheat sprouted and formed heads, then the weeds also appeared." See, this parable begins in pretty familiar territory, right? We have a farmer who goes out to sow good seed in his field and after he returns home while he and his servants are sound asleep, an enemy farmer sneaks into his field and sows a second type of seed all throughout his field before taking off. Now, this second type of seed, which we have translated in our English Bibles as weed, um, is is really quite destructive. Now, the experts say that uh, this isn't a weed like the ones that we might be used to in our gardens, no. The word Jesus uses, uh, zazania, refers to a specific type of poisonous weed uh, called a bearded darnel, right? A bearded darnel. Now, what makes a bearded darnel particularly dreadful is when a bearded uh, darnel is young, uh, this weed looks virtually identical to, to wheat, to grains of wheat. Right? Apparently, they look so similar that farmers actually call it fake or false wheat, which is problematic for a crop if you're a farmer, right? Because the only time you could tell that it's not wheat but bitadarnal is only when the heads of the grain finally sprout, which at that point has, would have meant that the weed would have already spread and multiplied all across your field. Now, not only is it... Impossible to tell apart while they're young, but as the bearded dino and the, and the, and the wheat grow, uh, their r- roots entangle themselves around each other, which makes removing the weed just about impossible. See, to plant this bearded dino, this weed, was how you could ruin a farmer's livelihood. To plant a weed like this is an act of deliberate sabotage. See, what's Jesus saying here? Well, he goes to draw the parallels for his disciples in verse 37. Jesus, he says, he's the farmer. He's the one who sows good seed, people of his kingdom, into his field, which verse 38 he tells us, the field is the world. The weeds, on the other hand, are the people of the evil one. Because the identity of the enemy farmer who sows these weeds is, in verse 39, The devil. So coming back to our question, why does evil and opposition exist in Jesus' kingdom even now? Well, according to Jesus, it's because there isn't just one sower or one crop in his field. The opposition, evil and difficulty that we see in our world and in Jesus' kingdom, it's not accidental. It's not bad luck. It's not some mystery that can't be explained. Jesus says that behind it all is a source, a sower. An enemy who sows weeds, which produces destructive ripple effects in our world. That's the reason why it's hard to be his disciples. That's the reason why one-eighth of the world is persecuted as it is. And even though the kingdom has come, that's why there continues to be so much hardship. Why? Because this enemy sower is at work. And he's at work particularly through the seed that he sows, that zizanea, the people that belong to him. See, for Jesus, there are only two types of people that are sown into the world. There's the real wheat or the false wheat, the fake wheat. There are believers or unbelievers. There are people who side with him or people who side with the devil. It couldn't be clearer for him. There's only two types of people. Now, that's not a popular opinion, isn't it? is not it? Right? To see things just you know, so binary, so definitive. And you can imagine people being outraged hearing this. Right, you're, you're saying that there's only two types of people they might go in the world? You're saying that if I don't belong to Jesus, that I belong to the devil? I don't even believe the devil. How can Jesus say such a thing? Now I get that it's uncomfortable. And to be honest, it's awkward even just speaking about it. But Jesus makes it very clear, I'm afraid, here, that we're either people align with him or people aligned with the devil. We either belong to him in his kingdom and on his side, or belong to the devil in his and side with him. Imagine a bank heist from a scene from one of those classic action movies. right? There's, a, there's always a group that comes up with a master plan to, 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 to rob this bank together. right? Now imagine that in this group there's a car mechanic and the car mechanic is responsible for organizing the getaway car. And this car mechanic, he's a real nice guy, he's a great dude, very likable, very funny. Uh, He orders all the car parts legitimately and legally, he buys everybody coffees every day, he repairs the vehicles efficiently and cheerfully. Uh, But one day on this particular heist, it fails, and the cops finally catch the whole team and put them all in jail. And when they finally get to question the mechanic, the mechanic says, well, hey, you should let me go. I'm the nice one. All I do is fix up these cars that these guys destroy. I buy everybody coffees. I buy everything legally and legitimately. Let me go. How did the police police reply? Well, of course, they'd say something like, well, it doesn't matter. Why? Because you're on the wrong side. You've aligned yourself with these robbers and thieves. Yeah, you're sure you're not as bad as them, but you're still on the wrong side. Similarly, Jesus is saying to anybody who will uh, hear both then and now, even as unpleasant as it may seem, that there are only two crops in the world. There are only two groups of people and that by default, unless we follow him and call him Lord, we're not wheat. Truth be told, this may not even be a conscious decision for many of us, right? Many of us are like that fictional mechanic. We're good, we're decent, we're kind, we're generous people. Overall, we're, we're good guys. But the very fact that we sin, the very fact that we've ignored and rejected God, actually means that we've said to Him, Hey, I don't want to follow you. And I don't want you as God. And by doing so, we've aligned ourselves with the devil. See, friends, there are only two sowers, and there are only two crops. Those who follow Jesus and those who don't. And, friend, and by the way, the frightening thing that verse 26 teaches is that until the two crops sprout, you know, it's going to be hard to tell. Which means that there's going to be a period of time where many will believe and assume that they're on God's side, when in actual fact they're not. At one point in the future, it's going to be obvious, but until then, those crops look identical, all you've got to do is ask the average Joe in Australia whether they think they're going to be good with God. And most will probably say something along the lines of, Hey, I don't know. But if I were to guess, I guess, I'd say I'm not too bad. So probably. Friends, I hope you see that according to Jesus in this parable, an answer like that doesn't cut it. There are only two sowers and two types of seeds planted in the world. We either follow Jesus or we don't. There's no such thing as sitting on the fence. By not following him, by ignoring him, by postponing thinking about it, the parable tells us that we've already aligned with Satan, whether we realize it or not, and that we're on his team. See, to summarize, why does evil and opposition exist in Jesus' kingdom? Well, it's because there's an enemy, Satan, the devil, at work. And much of the world is aligned with him, on his team, some intentionally, but many unsuspectingly. Let's move on to the second main block of the parable because while there are two types of crops, surprisingly, they are allowed to grow entangled together for a time, right? They're allowed to grow entangled together for a time. Uh, Let's pick it up from verse 27. Uh, The owner's servants came to him and said, sir, didn't you sow good seed in your field? Where then did the weeds come from? An enemy did this, he replied. The servants asked him, do you want us to go and pull them up? No, he answered, because while you are pulling the weeds, you may uproot the wheat with them. Let both grow together until the harvest. And right, so the story picks up again after some time at the point where some of the crop begin to sprout. Yeah, and the workers in the harvest and the servants of the farmer they begin to notice that there are fe- weeds scattered across the field. And so seeing the weeds, they go to the farmer and say to him, Sir, well, you only sow good seeds. So where did these weeds come from? Do you want us to go and pull them up? Do you want us to spray some weed killer through the field to get rid of it? How does the farmer respond? Well, he says, no. Why does the farmer say no? Doesn't he want the weeds to be gone? Is he in denial about the weeds? Does he just simply not care? Is he powerless to do anything about it? Well, the reason he gives in verse 29, take another look. He says, no, because while you are pulling the weeds, what? You may uproot the wheat with them. You may uproot the wheat with them. See, what's he saying? He's saying, don't pull the wheat, because if you do, you're going to damage the wheat. They're entangled. Leave them for now. See, the farmer knows that the wheat isn't ready. We don't know the exact reason from the parable. Maybe some of the wheat are yet to sprout. Maybe others are yet to even have taken root. But whatever the reason, the farmer says no for the sake of the wheat, and so he tells his servants in verse 30 let both grow together until harvest. See, friends, why doesn't Jesus just end all the opposition and all the difficulty now? Because like the farmer, he delays for the sake of his people. See, isn't it a good thing that Jesus delays for the sake of his people? I mean, just think about it, right? Imagine if Jesus really brought God's judgment whenever his people wanted him to. There's an account in the Gospel of Luke where James and John, two of the disciples of Jesus, they get annoyed at a Samaritan village. And so they turn to Jesus and ask him, Lord, do you want us to call fire from heaven and destroy this place? What does Jesus say? Well, he says, no. Right? He rebukes them. No chance. He says, no chance. Why? Because the wheat isn't ready yet. He delays for the sake of the wheat. And isn't it good that he didn't pull out the weeds, say, a century ago? Because if he did, well, then all of us here at Sweck wouldn't be a part of his kingdom. All of us wouldn't have the joy of following him or calling him Lord. The only reason that we are part of his kingdom, why we are weak, is because he's deliberately delayed. See, friends, why does Jesus continue to allow opposition to his rule thrive in the world? It's for the sake of the wheat. Because friends, there are there's wheat still out there. There are still people who are undecided. There are still those who maybe aren't who aren't yet born, right? People we don't know, but who Jesus already knows and loves, who he has chosen and sown to be his wheat, to be one of his come harvest time. See, like the farmer, he lets his wheat and weed, he lets his wheat and the weed grow together until harvest time. Right? To put it another way, for the sake of his wheat, Jesus has deliberately set a time in his kingdom where his wheat and Satan's weed will coexist and remain entangled together. And that's our reality. It's why we live in the messiness, in the brokenness, in the disruption, because for a time, Jesus' wheat and Satan's weed coexist and remain entangled together. See, what does this mean for us? If this is actually the case, what does it mean for us? Well, let me briefly mention three things. Um, Point A, if you are undecided of whether you should follow Jesus, take advantage of the delay. Take advantage of the delay. Maybe you're hearing clearly for the first time that this is something you need to think seriously about. Maybe you realize that you've got to find out more. Maybe Jesus is prompting you today by His Spirit to to, to follow Him and be one of His wheat the word for you is don't delay. Harvest judgment, we are told, will one day come. Take advantage of the delay because it won't last forever. Um, Point B, for those of you who do follow Jesus, who know and are confident that you are one of His, a wheat in His kingdom, here's something for us to think about. Realize the times we are in. Yeah, Realize the times we are in. Recognize that we are in that age where we are Entangled and coexist with the weeds of our world, which means we're going to see and feel the impacts of weeds regularly. And often um, and, and, and regu- we're going to see the impact of weeds regularly, because that's what the kingdom currently looks like,? Right? We're going to see it in our world, we're going to see it in our homes, and we're going to see it even in ourselves. Right, through this parable, Jesus is saying, hey, expect opposition, expect suffering, expect to struggle with sin, expect hostility, expect you're going to need to be patient. Now, this doesn't mean that we should be without hope or just pessimistic about everything. We can still be good wheat now, despite all everything that's going on around us. But this parable needs to jolt us back to the reality that weeds exist and the effects of weeds are still here and will continue to be seen, felt, and experienced. Until Jesus returns. And the third takeaway is, again, for those of you who are confident that you're wheat, remember that the job of weed pulling and separation doesn't belong to us. That's not our task. That belongs to Jesus. It's His domain. We see the farmer telling his servants not to pull up the weeds because they're going to uproot the wheat too, as they do. See, if we did the weed pulling, all we'd do is mess it up. We'd do damage and harm to the people of God, and it's going to end in disaster. And church history, unsurprisingly, has backed Jesus up on this, right? Each time that believers have tried to do the task that only Jesus is meant to do, it's ended up in disaster. The worst case scenarios have either led to utter violence, bloodshed and warfare, in other cases, you've had total separation where entire communities just withdraw from the world and set up these isolated communes just for themselves. In both cases, you've had total um, you've, In both cases, they've ignored Jesus' words to live in the world, not apart from it. In both cases, they've disobeyed Jesus' command to leave the pulling and separating to Him. And in both cases, they've caused, they've caused damage and harm. To the people of God. And while we aren't likely to go to those extremes, the reality is uh, we often find it pretty easy to do and begin to do some weed pulling and separating ourselves. A quick thought, perhaps, on the basis of how someone looks. Drawing a conclusion because of how somebody has acted or acted towards you deciding whether they're in or out based on how they've responded to Jesus in the past, prematurely judging people based on their flaws. Friends, it is quite likely that we are engaging in this weed-pulling work more often than we care to think. And if that's true for you, Jesus is saying to you, hey, leave that in my court. That's not your domain, it's mine. The kingdom for now is learning to coexist and remain entangled with the weeds of the world until I return. Don't pull up the weeds, because you'll uproot both the wheat and the weed if you do. Friends, in the task that we've been given as wheat in His kingdom, we are to remain in the complexity of our world and learn to do so faithfully, patiently and humbly until the appointed time of harvest. So to pull together what we've covered so far, right? We've seen evil, still exists in the kingdom now because there's a sower, Satan, the enemy, who is at work sowing weeds into the world. But we've also seen that evil still exists because Jesus, the farmer, allows the wheat and the weed to live and grow together as he patiently delays judgment and harvest for the sake of the wheat that are yet to be ready. See, these things, friends, are a difficult reality, but they're a hopeful reality because as we've touched on already, This will not last forever. Because our third point, one day separation will come. One day separation will come. Now let's read the end of the parable in verse 30. Let both grow together until the harvest. At that time, I will tell the harvesters, first collect the weeds and tie them in bundles to be burned. Then gather the wheat and bring it into my barn. Dear friends, our Lord will not let evil and opposition to His rule in His kingdom thrive forever. At the end of history as we know it, at the end of the age, there will be a harvest day. There will be separation. The weeds will be collected, tied and burned. The wheat will be gathered and brought into the barn. And on that day, Jesus goes on to explain from verse 40, just as the weeds are pulled up and burned, so too will the people sown by the devil who align and belong to Him. On that day, Jesus will send out his harvesters, the angels, and they will weed out all that oppose, ignore, and reject his lordship. And we see in verse 41, that includes everything that causes sin and all who do evil. That just means that there is nowhere to hide come this day of harvest and separation. Everything and everyone associated with the enemy will be weeded out. And we see elsewhere, that includes even Satan himself. And they will be thrown into the blazing furnace hell, where there will be a weeping and gnashing of teeth. See, hell, according to Jesus, is so miserable and so terrifying that to describe it, he uses metaphors from the book of Daniel, because to describe it using regular language just doesn't capture how awful hell truly is. And so, hell is a place of fire and a blazing furnace. Where like fire, it disintegrates. It decomposes those there till they're no longer recognizable for what they once were. Hell is a place of weeping where one loses and mourns the loss of everything good. Where every blessing given to humanity to enjoy will be removed completely. Choice, love, joy, goodness, connectedness because hell is a final separation from God and everything that is good that has come from Him. Hell is a place of gnashing of teeth. Where anger and hatred eternally abound. Elsewhere, hell is a place of darkness because those there have refused to draw near to God and would rather be utterly alone and isolated from Him. And yet, for those on the other side of the separation, To the people of the kingdom who have put their trust in Jesus, who have endured in the face of opposition, hardship, and evil, like so many around the world, and I'm sure many here at Sweck too, we read the comforting words that describe that day in verse 43. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father. See, friends, the difference in the final outcome between the people of the kingdom, the wheat, and the people of the devil, the weeds, you can't have it any more stark. Evil will one day end. It will not last forever. And so, brothers and sisters, as we close, how can we be sure that this will actually be what takes place one day? What what makes this an inevitability and not just some fragile, hopeful thinking? How can we be sure that this really is our future and that we're not just enduring the disruptions and difficulties needlessly now? And here's how. Because our Lord Jesus, even though in his life on earth he faced enormous amounts of scrutiny, opposition and evil, when he went to the cross, it upped several notches. Because on the cross, though innocent, Jesus willingly died and experienced the full brunt of the furnace, of the weeping and gnashing of teeth, of pain and pure evil for us and in our place, that being aligned with the devil deserves. On the cross, Jesus demonstrated once and for all just how much He loves us. Just how much He wants us, how much He wants to make us His people in His world, wheat in His field. And He endured all of that for you and for us, so that for eternity, we would never have to. So that we might shine. It reminds us that the kingdom He brought through His death and resurrection will one day be complete in all of its fullness and glory on the day of harvest at the end of the age. And so, dear friends, in those moments where we are struggling, right when we think, hey, what's going on? Why is everything so hard? Why why evil now? Would you remember what Jesus has suffered for you? Would you remember how much it cost Him in order to bring us into His kingdom in the first place? Remember that He saved you from an eternity of exclusion, loneliness, burning, weeping, and gnashing. And so, dear friends, if He was willing to go to such lengths, to the point of experiencing hell itself for us, to bring us into His kingdom, we can be absolutely sure that He'll want us there shining for all eternity. Uh, let's sing in response uh, to what we've heard.